Welcome, friends and enemies. It's time for Perhaps It's You, your favorite unofficial Unsolved Mysteries rewatch podcast. I'm Liz. I'm Samantha. And somehow we've made it through another week and we decided to still keep making this podcast. Consider it a miracle. This is right here a miracle segment. I think everyone should thank my mom because my mom... I told my mom we were recording today, and she was like, oh, good, because I want to listen to it. And I was like, all right, I guess I got to do it then. So your thanks- mom might be the only reason we're making this goddamn episode this week. <laughs> I- so thank you, Liz's mom. Yeah, if you're on in our Facebook group, give a big old shout out to Liz's mom. I know she's in there. <laughs> thank you, because that's the only reason I'm not laying on my couch right now. I really feel like it's been a long year. And it's like, bitch, it's mid February. <laughs> what are you talking about? This last like, week oh, has damn. felt like an entire year, I think. Oh, damn. So. It's been a long year. Uh, <laughs> where you been, sis? It's February. Okay. <sighs> okay. So, most people know that we often, this episode is actually dedicated to my mom, but often we dedicate our episodes, each and every episode, to BB Wong. Mm-hmm. And a special shout out to him, because if people are have been listening to the show for a while, perhaps they have a voice crush on my husband, Mac. And somehow, I'm not really sure how this is possible, but time is kind of nebulous and weird. We have been together for 20 years. Congratulations. And, <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you. Uh, and um, to celebrate those two decades together matt got me a very special cameo (laughs) from one you guessed it bd wong and i have to say absolutely true love i have to say it was incredibly charming i watched it it was it was charming he admitted to being psychic i didn't see that coming (laughs) that was a twist there was like (laughs) like twists in this cameo it was i will um this is not a disparagement to him, but he was clearly, like, not prepared to do it. <laughs> he had it, like, but I, I can't complain because it's much like doing this podcast. He just started and uh, kept saw talking. Where, saw where it went. And uh, it was, you know, surprisingly long and uh, very sweet. And he talked about how when him and his now husband were first dating, they would he would make him grilled cheese sandwiches on Tuesdays. And it, I don't know, the whole thing was just adorable. It was very cute. I appreciate that Mac didn't make a distinction between Law & Order Original Recipe and SVU. Shh. That's and, because... And BD no one... just, I think, assumed that because you were such a fan of him that you were obviously a big fan of SVU, which we all know is not your favorite SVU, but we won't no tell BD Wong. I said no one tell him. Yeah, actually, okay... I'll, I'll go on a little rant here that maybe I feel like this is less of a thing now, but maybe it's someone at point in your life. People have told you that you watch too much TV and that you're wasting your time. I have definitely heard this myself <laughs> as an avid TV viewer. However, watching too much TV not only brought me to this very podcast you're listening to. If Samantha and I had been unable to talk about anything other than Unsolved Mysteries, <laughs> Our friend Alexa never would have said, maybe you should make a podcast about Unsolved Mysteries. And then we never would have started it on a whim. So there's one avenue, right? The watching too much TV has only made my life, well, okay, mostly made my life better. 
It's definitely made me and Samantha better friends. It has mostly positive outcomes, right? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But also in college, getting my first t- taste of cable TV, I was watching so much Law and, Re- Law and Order reruns every day that that was basically all I could talk about. And eventually this guy was like, you should really meet this guy, Mac, who has a Law and Order chart he made. <laughs> Up in his dorm room, which would show you, based on the two detectives at the beginning, who the prosecutors would be. And I was like, really? This is extremely important. So that's how we met. So watching too much TV actually introduced me to the love of my life. And led you to getting a cameo from B.D. Wong himself. (laughs) And and more importantly (laughs) than that, meant that I eventually got... Uh, yeah, a video of B.D. Wong saying my name, meaning that there is a point of time where I could have been like, I wonder what B.D. Wong is doing right now. And it would have been thinking about me, <laughs> which is incredible. Amazing. Amazing. I'm not going to post it because it's for me. It's not for you. But exactly. I, Well, and also it's not for business use, I think. It's for personal use. Yeah. So Mac didn't pay the whatever thousand dollars it is. <laughs> For a business piece one. But uh, I have to say, great job. Also, doesn't he look amazing? Amazing. Amazing. I, was... I can't wait for the next Jurassic Park movie. <laughs> I have uh, to assume. The... He is the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> I have to assume that's no makeup, B.D. Wong, making that cameo. I think so. I think that's so. Just, that was just him sitting at a desk. and He like, didn't his... even write out any nice. notes, I don't think. So he definitely didn't like, do his makeup. Yeah. And he looks flawless. Uh-huh. Oh, man. God. Okay. Well, that's the top of the... That's, that's it. That's all my updates. Good night, everyone. <laughs> oh, wait, no. We have to talk about Unsolved Mysteries. Do we have to, though? I've, we've already talked about half of this episode. <sighs> this episode is a convoluted mess. So we are on... We are... Okay, season seven was up to such a strong start for three I episodes. I all the good things I said about season <laughs> seven. And then just decided to phone it in. We're so quick. So quick in the season. It gives up. And it's like, let's just do sort of a clips episode with a bit of new information. And it's all about the afterlife. Was Robert Stack sick this week? <laughs> what, what, why was why did this happen? I think it was probably just a money-saving tactic so they could reuse some old footage. Um, I actually really like the topic, but I sort of feel like they took a topic that I was interested in and then smothered it with a pillow. Like, it's just not. This is so boring. <laughs> It's not well done. For something that you're right, could be very interesting, but I think isn't. they did tease this at the end of the last episode, and I was like, ooh, love it. Love a theme. Love this topic. This is going to be great. And then you're watching this, and you're like, this is kind of a weird mess. I can barely even keep track of, like, whose afterlife story you're talking about right now. <laughs> and also, yeah, we've already seen some of this stuff. Give me some credit as an Unsolved Mysteries viewer that I've already seen what you're talking about. I don't know, but we still got to talk about it because for some reason when we started this, we were like, we're going to do it all. It's because we didn't think ahead, much like BD Wong recording a cameo. (laughs) We did not put a lot of thought into this. That is correct. We just started. And I have to say that's mostly worked out for us. But in this case, I was like, wow, I kind of wish we didn't have to do this. Would anyone notice if we just skipped (laughs) episode five? (laughs) Um, oh we i guess we did skip that episode well uh, go back now yeah i i believe in uh looking forward so um that just can't happen 
Yeah. So we're we're still gonna do it. I know that's a really enticing beginning to any podcast. I don't want to do that. Oh, that's how they all start, isn't it? Let's be real. I mean, not wrong. Okay. Well, I hope you're listening to this on Repod because that's the only app that's had the decency, the integrity, and the bravery to give us money. So that you should definitely download that on your phone. Find us. Follow us. Talk about how great we are. Mm-hmm. If you've already mm-hmm. left us a five-star review, this is a great way to just continually feed us the praise that we need to keep going. Because when I say that we're constantly considering quitting, I'm not exaggerating. <laughs> So you got to feed our egos a little bit to keep us to keep us going. Mm-hmm. Contemplating quitting is a conversation we had last week. So <laughs> it yes. was actually like a very, <laughs> very serious. Are we sure this is something we want to keep spending our time on? So um, but we love you guys. We have we such do. great listeners. And also my mom wanted to hear it. So here we are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but you can support us by supporting Repod and listening to us there. So Make us seem like big shots and like they spent their money well, okay? I don't want them to be like, wow, that was a huge mistake. No wonder no one has ever bothered to give, perhaps, do any mattresses. You know what? That guy that emailed us from Repod pointed out that our Patreon link was broken in like every episode <laughs> we've ever recorded, we've ever put out there. And- <laughs> He still gave us money to host our our show on Repod. So, you know what? (laughs) He clearly saw through the mess that is this podcast to the gold nugget within. He said there is sometimes a treasure. And it's actually, perhaps it's you. Okay. Actually, you get to go first, right? You're talking about... I'm talking about Danian Brinkley. Okay. I I guess that sounds like a real name. It kind of does. I don't know. I'll be honest, it just makes me think... It sounds like a yogurt company, but... Yeah, yeah, it makes me think of Zach and Cody giving away that Danimals yogurt prize. Do you know what I'm talking about? (laughs) Those ads. (laughs) (laughs) They had some some contest that they promoted the hell out of that was like, meet Zach and Cody by eating yogurt, or I don't know. Uh But that's that's what his name makes me think of. And I'm sure he doesn't want to know that, so no one tell him. Well, Danian Brinkley is not a yogurt mogul, so he- few of us are. <laughs> That's so true. So this whole episode, I'm not sure if we explain this, is about uh, the afterlife. So we are talking about near-death experiences, mostly. Um, people who have seen beyond the veil and come back to tell us about it. That's what we're talking about. And if this sounds familiar, it's because they've talked about this before, and you're going to get to rehash those those mysteries in Liz's segment next. So look forward to that. This one though, this Daniel Brinkley story is new. Yeah, is uh, this related to that Saved by the Light book that I once told you that I had read that book and you were clearly so disappointed in me? <laughs> is that the name of his book? Saved I don't by know. The Light? I don't know. It might I might be. I forget. Um he did write a book like that. So maybe he's the author of that book. I don't know. That book is like I think just to make it a book is like so ridiculously detailed about what heaven is like. It's like, and then there's like seven chapels on a cloud. And then like, it's just like, yeah, he did. He wrote that book. Danian Brinkley is the author of New York times and international bestsellers saved by the light and at peace in the light. Oh, I only read the first one. I was like 11. Cut me some slack, Samantha. (sighs) She, you could, can't you just hear the judgment in her voice? Everyone the vitriol i can she thinks she thinks less of me 
I was trying to see if he has his own website. I don't see one. Anyway. He just took him. that he just took that book money and bought an island. Everybody had that book back in the day. You can buy his book on Book Depository for the mere price of sixteen dollars and forty two cents. That's way that what? seems like a lot. <laughs> for I a feel book. like I feel like we were drowning in copies of that book once upon a time. Where did they all go? Okay, on A books it's three seventy seven. Even so, I feel like this book should be sixteen cents. Oh, that copy! Oh, but that's for a fair copy. What's a what's an excellent copy going for? Okay, you can get a good copy of Secrets of the Light for four dollars. All right. Well, so maybe we'll put that on our book club list. No, do not do that. <laughs> yeah, you're I, right. I insist very strongly. All right, so on September 17th, 1975, in Aitken, South Carolina, Danian Brinkley, who was 25, was on the phone with his best friend, Tom Hall, when a storm passed overhead. Suddenly, a lightning bolt struck him through the window, sending at least 180,000 volts of electricity through his body. The jolt was so powerful that it left his shoes welded to the floor, and if the Unsolved Mysteries reenactment is to be believed, <laughs> threw him clear across the room. I don't it's think the, it went down like that, but it's very dramatic. Very dramatic. If, if the reenactment is to be believed, it's one of the funniest things that's ever happened. <laughs> I, I'm sure this would be it's extremely... Like a cartoon. Yeah, it, it's like something from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. It's He really, a lightning strikes him, he goes flying, and his shoes are left behind. Did, did your parents ever tell you not to talk on the phone during a storm? Yes, and not to take a shower. Okay. I don't know if either of those things are true. I mean... My, my parents didn't, because apparently they were like, you know what would be really cheap? If our kid got hit by lightning, we didn't have to feed her anymore. <laughs> your mom, you know your mom is listening to this. Oh, yeah. No, that was my parents' great money-saving tactic. When there was a storm, they were like, please talk on the phone. It's I time for a shower. If, if that's Trust why kidding. he got hit by lightning. I was assuming so. But I guess if it's through the window, it's just totally random. Talking on the phone in a thunderstorm. Tell me, Google. Using a corded telephone during a thunderstorm is discouraged because the phone is physically connected by wires to the outside. A cell phone, however, has no such physical connection and the electric current from a nearby lightning strike cannot reach it. It is perfectly safe to use a cell phone during a thunderstorm. I did that. I can't tell you how many times, and I live to tell the tale. I'm a real daredevil. So maybe, see, I was thinking it was the it came through the window, but it seems like maybe it went through the telephone lines. I was that, that was my assumption, but interesting. I don't know. Unsolved Mysteries doesn't say. At any rate, he was near dead. Um, Danian suddenly found himself. He's interviewed for the show, and he is describing. Uh, what he experienced moments after the lightning strike. So he's laying on the ground. His uh, wife uh, is trying to resuscitate him. There's also a guy there named Tom. Um, is it the same Tom he was talking to on the phone? That's not made clear. Anyway, uh, he what he experienced was seeing himself as like an out-of-body experience. He found himself floating above his body, looking down at his wife, trying to resuscitate him. Robert Stack says that for all intents and purposes, he was clinically dead, but he recalls having this vivid near-death experience. This is what he says. He was staring down a tunnel, and he sees what appears to be- Wait, 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 wait. You left out a very important detail about him floating above his body. 
which is that he looked down at himself and thought, oh. and, and then told us that he thought that he was better looking than that. Yeah, that seemed to be his first thought was, wow, I thought I was better looking than I Has he, he never looked in a mirror? I guess maybe it gave him some more perspective. Yeah, well, this, that seems true based on what we learned later. <laughs> or that just like he wasn't posing or I don't know. He, so he looked down and he's like, damn, I am not as hot as I, I thought mean, I you was. Prob- moments after being struck by lightning, you're probably not looking your best. So he needed to cut himself <laughs> some slack. <laughs> that was apparently a shock to him. I thought I was such a hottie that lying dead, I would look spectacular. I mean, that's what I hope for myself. But in reality, I don't think you're looking your best moments after yeah, being struck by lightning. That's why my new idea for my funeral is to have a painting painted of me looking beautiful in my casket. Uh, yeah, I think you're onto something with that. So that I don't actually have to look great in my casket. Like, I would love to be, like, wearing, like, a gothic veil and a, a bold red lip and just, like, like you know, have this, like, snow white kind of vibe going. It but- also gives you the opportunity to have your, like, pre-death photo shoot moment. Yeah. I think that's really the way to go. Uh-huh. I, I agree, actually. You're like, for once, Liz, you're making sense. (laughs) For once. So he's staring down a tunnel. He sees a form coming out of a beautiful misty blue. Then all of a sudden, he says, I not only felt everything I'd ever done and saw everything I'd ever done, I became every person that I'd ever encountered. It sounds amazing. Does it, though? Like, maybe. Troubling. But yeah. I would I kind of would love this to happen. It's interesting to to feel everything you'd ever done and see everything you've ever done. Yeah, in a way it might be nice. Especially, you know, there's, there's a nostalgia factor. You're like, yeah. oh, I don't remember Stacy. <laughs> oh yeah, good old Stacy. <laughs> um no, I it's trippy. And I, I and I am it's probably equally bad and good, but I was I am kind of envious. Yeah. It does seem like he may have been. This near-death experience may have been similar to <laughs> tripping balls. Um, so Daniel admits that when he was young, he was, quote, self-centered and mean-tempered, nothing short of a bully. Can you imagine having Robert Stack say this about you? Because well, that's what least... happens in this episode. I mean, it seems true. <laughs> at least it's in the context of, like, I'm a changed man. But it is, it is, yeah. Okay, look, Robert Stack was kind of probably kind of a bully. Are we thinking he, he was never a bully? I don't know. Do I, mean, I know anything about Robert Stack? No, and I'll, I'm going to keep it that way. But should he be judging? <laughs> Probably not. But this is this does seem like Danyan's own words, to be fair to Robert Stack. So this pattern continue this pan- pattern of being a bully continued during a tour of duty in Southeast Asia. We don't hear what he did that was bullying. Yeah, kind of mm. don't want to know to be honest. But Very troubling. He was, he was not a cool dude when he was serving overseas. So great. Um, while it, having this near death experience, Danian says that he was forced to confront those he had victimized through the years. This. this- photo montage of just i assume just random people staring straight at the camera to represent everyone he's people he's victimized including a man with what seems like a blue stripe across his forehead yeah i don't know what that i don't i do not know what that was 
I assume the little children were supposed to be like when he was a child, but it's also kind of funny to think of him as a grown man going around just bullying small children. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's um, I mean, it's effective. It's a, it's cheesy, but it is effective filmmaking. Mm-hmm. I would, I would say that's true. I think I don't know what's with the guy with the stripe on his head though. It kind of took me out of it for a moment. But. <laughs> that guy was in a play. Yeah, it's hard to say. It's hard to say what was happening there. That was a Halloween costume that we don't understand. Uh, I don't know. So he says, I felt the pain and the anguish and the anger and frustration that I had caused these people. And, you know, people don't realize that you judge yourself when this happens. You judge yourself. And that's what I did. So it seems like he had this moment to reflect on what an asshole he had been his entire life. And he's he's thinking twice about about how he's treated people. So I mean, better late than never, I guess. Um Danian was rushed to the hospital. In the emergency room, his breathing faltered and then stopped. Minutes later, his friend Tom Hall was told that Danian was dead. But when Tom went to see his body, he began to move. This would be terrifying. Yeah, this is like old-timey stories of like so, like suddenly you 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 flinch or whatever when you're about to go in the ground. This looks from the reenactment like it's in the morgue or in the in the hospital and he's like there to say goodbye to his friend and then under the sheet his friend is literally moving yeah. i would be traumatized for life <laughs> yes yes this I is would like a, a frankenstein moment where you're just like oh liz i'm so sad that you got struck by that lightning and flew across the room here i am to pay my respects and i'm like what's that samantha <laughs> like you would faint and then you would never be the same it's true it's true. Um, so Danian describes this moment as he went from a spiritual place and, and whirled back into this place where he's in the hospital under a sheet and looking up. He said "I he couldn't move. He couldn't talk. He just felt like he was on fire again. Huh. Miraculously, Danian returned to life nearly 28 minutes after he had been declared dead. After a week in the hospital, he was released, but it was not smooth sailing. He was hardly able to walk or talk. His eyes were so light sensitive that he had to wear welder's glasses at all times. Um, at this point, I mean, it's been weird so far, but it, it, it gets weirder. <laughs> Danian says that he began to experience vivid images of the future. Uh-huh. So, I mean, he's no longer having a near-death experience. I not really sure how this is explained but this is what he says happened it's because he's been to the other side samantha and he saw these images in little boxes or something (laughs) yeah but this this is my note from this topic he saw the election of reagan and did nothing to stop it (laughs) i sort of had the same wow he saw all of these things the gulf war yeah reagan being elected i forget what else oh the fall of the soviet union i mean he saw it all to be fair to Danian, it seemed like he was trying to tell people and they all were like, yeah, yeah, sure. I don't he, know. Had, he had a Cassandra moment. Nobody was really that interested in his ramblings. And then they all turned out to be true. And Reagan really, it's not just a horror story. Reagan really did become president. Right. So he says that he was partially paralyzed for seven months, but the visions and things that happened in this now what we call near death experience have stayed with him. And, um, 
are more uh, coherent memories than anything he has ever experienced. So he claims that altogether he witnessed 117 future occurrences, including, like we said, the election of Ronald Reagan, the collapse of the Soviet Union, and the Gulf War in 1991. Danian later told his friends about the visions, and they verified that he did indeed predict events before they actually happened. It's creepy. Yep. He believes that his near-death experience marked the birth of his psychic abilities and admits that in the months after the accident, he was simply a dazed and bewildered man who had undergone a dramatic transformation. Sure. He says that he was driving people nuts because he wanted (laughs) somebody to tell him that it either didn't happen, which he knew it did, or to explain it. But of course, no one could explain this at all. It's completely unexplainable. Also, he wanted people to tell him he looked really cool in his welder's glasses, but nobody was willing to say it out loud. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> True. They was were jealous. The they were oh. so jealous. I didn't take notes on... So you're right. So they do this, like, animation of his near-death experience when he's presented with these future events, and it's just this animation of like little tv screens and then they then they put like video footage of like the gulf war and people in russia lining up at soup kitchens and they just play them over and over again and that's presumably how he got didn't he get this from like 12 beings or something yeah no he saw like 12 angelic figures that he called beings and he said that he was presented, he like went somewhere and he saw cases that he opened and he saw yeah, the fall it, of the Soviet Union. They were like tiny little boxes and in each one, there was like more than a hundred of them. And in each one was like some big future world event. Yeah. And that's how Which, he saw into the future. Does this happen to everyone who has a near-death experience or was he chosen? Because it doesn't seem like he did anything with this information. He just knew it. You know, Samantha, I'm going to surprise you. I'm going to surprise you by not knowing the answer to that. <laughs> You're right. I just have a lot of questions that are not answered by this. He segment. does too. You read his book. You don't have these answers. Oh my God. That was so long ago. No, I do not remember. Right, well, and I can't read it again for fear of you unfriending me. You failed this podcast. You have to read his second book. Oh my God. You're, you're contractually obligated now. Okay. So. <laughs> There is barely enough information for one book. I don't know how there was a second book. Well, he went on to to do some psychic things. Maybe he's got some other insights. I don't know. So Dr. Raymond Moody, one of the country's most prominent authorities on near-death experiences, says that Danian's account is very consistent with other reports of patients who get resuscitated following cardiac arrest. This is another thing that high school guidance counselors didn't tell me could be my career. I could have been an expert on near-death experiences. Did anyone bring that up? No. I think a- our school system is really failing us, to be honest. I mean, it's a, it is. It's an indictment of our public schools. You could be a doctor. You could be a lawyer. You could be a dentist. You could be an expert on near-death experiences. And I would have been like, say that last one again. <laughs> I've already read one book. Exactly. And there's a second one out there. So, <laughs> In an attempt to verify Danian's psychic abilities, Unsolved Mysteries asked well-known uh, parapsychologist Dr. William Roll to conduct a series of tests. 
Danian gave readings for eight people he had never met before, and according to Dr. Roll, Danian picked out several details about the lives of the individuals that he could not have known. Dr. Roll describes Danian as one of the more remarkable psychics he has ever worked with. Well, there you go. Hard to argue with. Also, Danian has has been asked to consult on the brutal murder case. In August 12, 1993, in Big Fork, Montana, John and Nancy Bosco were shot to death, execution style, as they slept. The police investigation turned up absolutely no leads. Two months later, John's mother, Tony, met with Danian. Danian described the killer as a slight-billed young man with black hair who knew John and the layout of the house. Danian said that the man was in college somewhere in the West, but predicted that he would be arrested in the very early part of December. Incredibly, Danian was correct in all of his uh, accounts. 18-year-old Joseph, also who went by Shadow Clark, was (laughs) arrested. Which is a that, dog's name, not a nickname for a human. That, I, I realize he killed two people, but also going by shadow was unacceptable. Absolutely. That's where he went wrong. Which is uh, the bigger which is the bigger crime, folks? Think about it. I mean, I think that's where his his life diverted. I'm gonna yeah, say he was yeah. on a path and he came to a fork in the road and going right was taking the nickname Shadow. <laughs> going left was becoming I don't know, a banker in Syracuse. And he went right and he ended up murdering an innocent couple. You're right. That's when he broke bad. Yep. Clark was arrested in December and later convicted, just as Danian predicted. Clark had lived in the murder house and had known the Boscos. He was attending college in the West. Danian had apparently solved the case through the power of his mind. Yeah, but it didn't help anyone. He just was right. It didn't, like, lead to his conviction or something. It's just later they were like, oh, yeah, that guy was right. Are you saying you're not impressed? I would be more impressed if he figured out who's going to win that Danimals yogurt contest. <laughs> but did. We don't know he didn't. <laughs> you know what? You got me. He didn't want to poison the contest, so he kept <laughs> that to himself. <laughs> he didn't want to ruin the integrity of yogurt contests for children. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. You're right. <laughs> So, of his psychic abilities, Danian says this. This is new to me, and sometimes it's troublesome because I pick up things that I don't want to know. And if someone, if someone's intense around me, I'm able to perceive it. And I try to. I'm still trying to figure out ways to turn it off. Guy, um, if someone's being intense around me, I can figure that out, too. <laughs> that doesn't this, sound special at do you, all. Do you think you have psychic abilities? I mean, probably. Were yeah. you struck by lightning and thrown across a room? No, much to my parents' distress. I lived, continuing <laughs> to eat all their food. So, at the time of the broadcast, Danian Brinkley was spending much of his time volunteering at hospices and nursing homes, and he believes that his near death experience left him uniquely qualified to counsel others. So, it seems like maybe getting struck by lightning unlocked the powers of his mind, and he is psychic now. It does. It does something to make him a better person. I did, Yeah. I mean, if nothing else, at least he's not bullying people anymore. <laughs> yeah. He probably. He seems like he probably deserved to die for whatever he did in the army, but somehow he lived and uh, turned it, it around. Turned it around. There are 
So many mustaches in this segment, by the way. Oh, yeah. Daniel himself has a mustache. I feel like it's not that remarkable. It's kind of thin. But it's light. It's, I wrote down light and tasteful as a description think, of his mustache. I think there was a red mullet in this one. That guy had a oh. mustache too, didn't he? Or was that in a different segment? I forget. Okay, so I have Danyan's mustache written down as light and tasteful, and that one is called the Afterlifer. His okay. best friend that he was talking to on the phone also oh, had oh, yep. a, also had a mustache, and his mustache I wrote down was dark and rough. Oh, okay, okay. That's after hours mustache right there. <laughs> but I called it better not dead. And sure. then also their friend Jimmy had a mustache. And I called that the requirement because apparently you have to have a mustache to be friends with these guys. <laughs> well, yeah. How could they take you seriously without one? <laughs> so I don't know which one is the MVM, but um, there was there's a lot. If you like mustaches, that's a segment for you. Yeah, the, the we've, sort dark... of been, we've sort of been waiting for the <laughs> the end of the mustaches because, like you pointed out to me the other day, like as we get farther and farther into the nineties, like mustaches well, started becoming associated with like greasy porn stars and kind of fell out of fashion. Yeah, we're we're gonna it's gonna get to a point where we're really only gonna see law enforcement mustaches. We're not gonna see civilian mustaches, but we're not quite there yet clearly so we get to see banyan and apparently every single person he's ever met having mustaches and you can decide for yourself which one is the most uh, valuable mustache of that trio this is choose your own adventure mustaches yeah yeah none of them are really that great so um i get the second segment which is just a hot mess it's just like i guess the idea of these afterlife journeys is a concept and it has okay it has i got really confused because it starts showing us stuff that we've already seen yes in like quick succession we're like different people talking as the narration and i was like i i can't tell you who's talking right now um like we hear someone say as i went unconscious all i saw was darkness the darkness gradually took the shape of a tunnel and way off absolutely positively to infinity appeared this tiny little speck of white light this was the most beautiful thing i had ever experienced in my life who said that i honestly have no idea um we then get some like clips that we've seen before if you recall a guy having a near-death experience and then seeing all of his life like it's on this disco lit lazy susan you get (laughs) you get that again you see a woman being led down a tunnel by an angel who calls herself elizabeth that may or may not have been me we see that again and then stack i think stack asks us is the near-death experience truly a peek into the afterlife or is it a physical manifestation of the human body breaking down as it dies so this part i was actually pretty interested in we hear from susan blackmore um oh god i didn't write it down i think she's a psychologist but she says that all components of the near-death experience can be explained logically because in these situations the brain is experiencing a lack of oxygen so she i don't I don't have enough of a scientific understanding to ex- to explain this, <laughs> uh, why this is. But she's saying the image of a tunnel with a far-off bright light can be explained by cells in the brain firing as they die. And, like, she said it in a way that makes sense, but I also, like, don't know enough about the brain to really, like... 
she's saying like the physical structure of a tunnel like corresponds with the structure of a brain and like mm-hmm. how it would appear as things are firing like in your mind's eye but I don't really know enough about the brain to explain it. I'm willing to take her word for it. Um, and then a lack of oxygen can also, as you might suspect, produce visions, hallucinations, flashbacks, even the feeling of floating, flying, out-of-body experiences, which can also be explained by your body releasing a rush of endorphins because it's dying. Um, I'm not, not hearing anything about 12 beings with 117 briefcases. I think they would just have to go into hallucinations. <laughs> And maybe those hallucinations are very specific. And uh, this woman (laughs) claims to know what she's talking about. Um, And that she, okay. And I I liked that she went on to say that just because you can explain these experiences with brain chemicals doesn't mean the experiences themselves aren't important. That she thinks that's not true. They are important because having this, these type of experiences changes your expression on your life, yourself, other people. And that, that people do have like their life is altered by having these near-death experiences so if it makes you a better person if it makes you kinder to other people if it's if you're like banyan or danyan whatever his name was (laughs) and you stop being a bully like yes that's a very important experience in your life so whether or not you literally went to a heaven and you talked to 12 beings well it doesn't really matter he had this experience, and because of that, he gained perspective on his life that he had basically been a terrible person, and that he got sort of a second chance, and he wanted to do better. Mm-hmm. I really liked that perspective. I appreciated that. I, th- I, I would say sort of that I would b- agree with Susan that probably... I think it's just different language for the same thing, that you would say, like, oh, it's... I went to heaven and saw this and that, but that's really just what your brain is like. Experience the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yep, yep, yep. Anyway, then Robert Stack has this really um, clunky transition where he says that if people can have near-death experiences, that means ghosts can come back to finish unfinished business. And you go, what? <laughs> Does it mean that? <laughs> Apparently. So now, okay. um, I guess Samantha- the, the veil between worlds is thin. I, I guess. Look, they ran out of afterlife stories and then just switched <laughs> to ghost stories. So now um, Samantha's going to talk about Karen Walker. And if that name sounds familiar, it's because that's a character on Will and Grace. But that's not who we're talking about. We're talking about a real person. Yes. So this story is sad. Yeah, actually, it really is. made me really sad. So Karen Walker was the only child of Jean and Tom Walker, born in 1949. She loved to read stories with her parents. One particular story she liked was The Three Musketeers. And this story became a symbol of their family and the closeness she had with her parents. So it seems like Karen Walker and her mom and dad were super close and they were really good parents. And like everything about this was idyllic and adorable. They would say uh, The Three Musketeers, uh, like famous line of all for one and one for all. It was kind of like their family motto. And overall, she just she had a great childhood with her family. They were close. She was an only child. Um, they were she was uh, their whole world, and it was it seems amazing. So, when Karen was seventeen, she began dating a man named Jim Alvarado. Jim did not do well in school. He struggled, so Karen took it upon herself to tutor him in an attempt to help him get his grades up. Um, uh, he would find uh, she would be they, they show in the 
the reenactment, uh, one of their study sessions. And what would happen is Jim's mind would wander. Um, and she had this thing where she would kick his leg in order to get him to focus on the task at hand and get him to like come back and, and do whatever task they were trying to work on and study. Um, so when he talks very fondly about her, about how like everyone else basically gave up on him because he was doing so poorly. Um, but she saw through that and, and saw that he had intellect. He just needed, you know, help and he needed, um, someone to reach out to him. And she did that for him. And that really had an impact on him and helped him to succeed. Um, she was, that was just kind of like the person she was. Um, he clearly loved her so much. Yes, he did. And this is where the story gets super fucking sad. In December 1969, Karen, who was then just 20 years old, was diagnosed with a fatal form of cancer. It was called Ewing's sarcoma. I believe this is a cancer in the bones. Um, And it was a terminal diagnosis. So she did begin extensive radiation and chemotherapy treatments. Her mom is uh, uh, Jeannie Walker is interviewed for the show and says that you know they decided that this was a horrible thing that has has happened but it's not going to tear our family apart we are going to do everything we can to help karen overcome this and you know they went with her to all her appointments and through it all they kept this like three musketeers mentality that we're going to stick together we are going to fight this um Unfortunately, on February 20th, 1970, Karen suffered an agonizing setback. So things seemed to be going well with the chemotherapy. She was not experiencing as much pain as she had before. Um, and, and things like generally were feel, seeming like they were getting better. Um, and they were, they, they were feeling a lot of hope. And then one night she woke up with this horrible pain in her leg um, in the area in which the cancer had started. And unfortunately, the cancer had eaten clear through the bone all the way, all the way through. Um, so this is where Ugh. her health really started to, to decline rapidly. Um, she tried to live with the cancer um, and and tried to, to sort of push through it. Uh, her and Jim made plans to get married. Uh, they were hoping to get married on December 19th. However, on December 7th, she lapsed into a coma. Um, in she, when she was in the hospital, her parents never left her side. Her father, Tom, brought her a single red rose every every day and placed it next to her bed. And then one night, she her mom was at her bedside and Karen awoke from her coma, which was very unexpected. And she had this conversation with her mom where she said that it was her time that she was choosing to go. And she wanted her mom to tell Tom and her father that this was her decision, that she can't go on like this, and that she needed to go. Um, it seems like a conversation that, first of all, is absolutely heartbreaking. Um, but it seems like it did. Ah. It was a conversation that kind of helped you know, her mother, bring closure to her mother. Um her mother says that she closed her eyes and at the moment that she passed, her mom saw what seemed like a haze or a smoke come out of Karen's head. Um, and that was December 17th, 1970, which was just two days before her and Tom had planned to get married. Um, so after Karen's death, um, she apparently began contacting her family from beyond the grave. Jim claimed that on the night after her death, he felt like she kicked him, just like she had done during their study sessions to get him to focus. 
A few weeks later, the Walkers went to visit relatives in San Francisco. While they were there, they sought a psychic, um, hoping to contact Karen's spirits. After three failed attempts, they left to go back home. Um, But while passing through Santa Barbara, they decided to try one more time. They contacted a medium who uh, Jeannie had once read about. The medium's name was Reverend George Daisley. Um, And when they contacted him, he said that he was booked for several months. However, he claimed that he then received a message from the spirits, which said that he had to see them immediately. If this is a, like, uh, marketing tactic, effective. (laughs) It is effective. It was effective. Um, So the walkers agreed ahead of time to limit the information that they gave to Reverend Daisley. Um, They did tell him that their daughter had passed recently, but they did not give him her name. The meeting began at 10 a.m. and he told them that she was with them and that she was no longer in pain. He then said that she and her that he, she told him that her and her parents were quote the three musketeers and that they would always be together. The walkers were certain that Reverend Daisley could not have known about this information, this inside thing that they had in their family with the three musketeers. I don't even know how he would look that up. I know. That's really that really got me, honestly. This is like one of those things where you're like, how could he have, like, that would be a, such a good guess to just pull that out of nowhere. Three Musketeers. It's one like, thing that he figures out her name and her birthday. Like, that's probably information that is somewhere publicly available. But to know that they had this, like, family inside Three Musketeers motto thing, like, yeah, how would you, that's, that's not public record. Like, I don't understand. No, and how would you, like, and before you could easily Google someone or, like, these days, I would say, well, maybe he went on their Facebook page and scrolled back and saw this Three Musketeers right, right, reference in, right, right. like, a post they made. But that obviously was not a thing back then. So what did he do? Comb through microfiche at the local library? It seems like he was super busy and dropped everything to see them unexpectedly. Also, so, why would that be in the newspaper? It wouldn't. I don't think. <laughs> I don't think so either. So, this, this, I'm generally very skeptical of psychics, but this one I thought was, I mean very interesting yeah and like liz said he also identified her name as karen he also correctly identified her birthday which was january 12th also he accurately described two photographs of karen as a child yeah Jeannie claims that karen was contacted uh has contacted her several times and influenced her to write a book about her experience that she called always karen which was published in 1975 Jeannie believes, based on what Karen has told her, that when we die, we go into another dimension. According to Karen, the body dies, but there is a new body that is waiting for everyone. Just sort of a nice thought. Um, Yeah, that's the end of the segment. Um, Unfortunately, Jeannie Walker passed away in 2013, um, and the psychic Reverend Daisley passed away in 2001 at the age of 90. Wow. I'm kind of curious to, Mysteries Wiki. to read that book, but also, and I don't want to be mean, but I'm assuming the book's not very good. No, I had the same thought. <laughs> but I am the, curious the... about it. Yeah, yeah. I'm interested, like, what kind of insights Jeannie got from Karen from Beyond the Grave. She seems to know what happens after we die. I mean, as a new body. I hope my body is banging. Yeah. I mean, if I can put in a request. Dear God. May my afterlife body be super banging. Thank you. <laughs> Amen. Amen to that. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a, such a sad story that I'm glad. Look, I don't know that this is true, but it does seem that it. I don't. I don't know how he faked it, but it does seem to uh, 
to have brought them some solace after such a horrible thing and so i'm glad for that i guess because yeah, yeah it's so fucking sad okay we have one more um this is from Eller ellersley sorry i already can't remember i watched this last night i can't remember ellersley georgia it is about a little girl named heidi Warwick who can make contact with real people who passed to the other side decades before she was born it's actually pretty scary and creepy <laughs> a little bit something about kids i don't know it's... okay because this is this is the opening uh reenactment we open with a man standing in the like front doorway whatever you want to call that and this little girl with pigtails is standing there and this man is telling her very slowly that he lives next door and there's a swing and wouldn't she like to play on the swing and while that's happening no no you don't and while that's happening slow tinkering creepy piano music is playing oh and did i mention this guy has blood all over his shirt and one hand is in bandage and blood is seeping through the bandage and he's going hello little girl wouldn't you like to play next door at my house? And I'm going, oh, God. But it's not what you think. It's not what you think. Okay. He really says the sentence, I bet you like to swing, don't you? Oh, my God. <laughs> nope. 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 Okay. So this was February 1989. Just after moving to Ellerslie, Georgia, little Heidi reported that a man named Khan appeared at the door that he was wearing a white t-shirt covered in blood and had a bloody bandage on one hand she literally went and asked her mom if she could play with the man with quote gray hair and blood on his shirt but when the, her mother frantically ran to the door he was gone logically her mother thought someone was trying to kidnap her daughter and called her husband to come home yep the father has a mustache that's called uh, Football Hero Mountain Range, because I think that gives you the perfect impression of what this guy looks like and what his mustache looks like. Okay. Um, but they failed to find anyone in the neighborhood that matched this description. After this, Heidi began to see a man she called Mr. Gordy in his yard, and he wore a suit and shiny black shoes. He also is talking to her about a swing. I just wrote out at this point, what the fuck? <laughs> Mr. Gordy. This is the scariest neighborhood ever. Okay. So her parents asked around town, but no one had heard of a Mr. Gordy, and they assumed that this was just for their daughter's imaginary friend. I, uh, for instance, had an imaginary friend named Jimmy, and I once went to uh, kindergarten and told everyone that my mom had not let Jimmy in the car and had left him on the side of the road. So, sorry, Mom. <laughs> Sorry about that. Everybody Poor Jimmy. Everybody definitely thought Jimmy was a real person that my mom had just left somewhere. I don't know why people took my childhood rant so seriously, come to think of it, but um they apparently thought that the Heidi was making up a man named Mr. Gordy who wore a suit and hung out in the backyard. Um they assumed this was an imaginary friend and didn't think much of it. However, their neighbor then found some paperwork in their home from the previous tenants. The deed was signed by a James S. Gordy. Which is incredibly creepy, everybody. They already incredibly. They were already going around town asking if anybody knew a Mr. Gordy. They thought that maybe it was the same person she had seen earlier. They were asking if anybody knew a Con Gordy or a Con or a Mr. Gordy, and everybody was like, no, we don't know what you're talking about. Your uh, child is clearly lonely and a little deranged. 
But then they find this deed that really is signed by a Mr. Gordy. We hear from a Catherine Ledford that she knew Mr. Gordy when she was a small child because he was the Sunday school superintendent. He had died in 1974. So that is more than a decade uh, to Heidi seeing him. He is described as a good man who loved people and was very friendly. Um, Heidi said that Mr. Gordy looked normal to her, just like someone real. When her mom asks her if, basically, if he looked like a ghost, if he was like see-through at all, and she was like, "No, he looks he looks totally real and normal, Mom." Um, Catherine did not have a photograph of Mr. Gordy, but she brought over some photos of her relatives and ancestors who had lived in that house next door. Heidi looked through the photos and recognized one man as the man she had spoken to in a bloody shirt. His name was not Con, it was Lon. And they realized that since Heidi is she's like three or something, that she hasn't been right. she hasn't been saying Con, she's been saying Lon. They just like she doesn't say it quite right. Yeah. So his name was actually Lon. He had died in 1957 from cancer. He had lost his hand at a very early age in a cotton gin. And it's the same hand that Heidi saw bloody in a bandage. This is spooky. Which they already know, right? And then they're looking at this photograph of a guy with only one hand. And she's like, oh, yeah, that's him. That's Lon. Uh... <laughs> this is honestly like how horror movies start. Okay. She consistently saw these two dead men for three years. Then her mother, Lisa, became pregnant. This is when a more sinister spirit that they call Paul at one point, but then never again, I don't really know, began to appear in a dark hallway. Um, Heidi had previously never been scared by her visions, but she was absolutely terrified of this new one, who was described as a frequent but unwelcome guest, which is a very hilarious way to talk about a ghost. Um... Her, yes, her parents at one point seriously considered moving which this is the point of the horror movie where you're like oh my god just move right like i'm sorry about all the money you sunk into the house on the renovations or whatever but the halls are dripping blood it's time to go you are it's going to, to go. die your life is worth more than your credit score like please leave but they so they sit down and like talk about like are we gonna move and lisa is like you know what i think heidi just has a gift and she's going to see dead people wherever we go and it does not matter what house we live in <laughs> God. imagine having that conversation um okay so two weeks after the baby is born, the visitations took a, quote, horrifying turn. One night, Heidi woke up crying, and Lisa found that she had three deep scratches across her cheek that seemed deep enough like they would scar. And they try to tell themselves, like, Heidi probably scratched herself in her sleep. But honestly, if you're, wor like, the force required for a scratch to be deep enough for it to scar is yeah, not. Yeah, you're not doing that in your sleep. You're not doing that. She's also a tiny little child. Like, her fingers are strong enough. Like, to do that by accident? No. No. Okay. No, that's clearly a demon. <laughs> yeah, it's terrifying. Okay, a couple weeks later, her dad, which I don't remember his name, but he's the football hero looking guy, he wakes <laughs> up in the night to find he has three. He, like, wakes up in pain, like, uh, lifts up his pajama shirt, and there's three deep claw marks on his side. The next night, he wakes up again to find three claw marks down his back. The following night, they're down his chest. All right. Ah! <laughs> Is that 
time to go. Is get out. Okay. Yes. Yes. Maybe your daughter, you know, is starring in the Sixth Sense, and she's gonna see dead people wherever she goes. However, there seems to be something very bad in this house that does not like that you had a baby for some reason. You need to leave. You need to leave. Yeah. And we've had people write in with their own ghost stories that involve scratches, and those are the ones that freak me out. Like most of the time, I'm like, it's just a roommate. Whatever. Deal with it. The ghost is harmless, <laughs> but. But if it's scratching you while you're sleeping, it just it's a whole other level. Yeah, I don't want ghosts touching me. I'm not consenting to that, ghosts. Yeah, ghosts, learn about consent, okay? God. Okay, but also, I do love that the dad very calmly explains that it's not a rat that scratched him because he would have noticed if a rat was crawling on him in his sleep. And I'm like, dude, I do not think a rat is leaving three the problems if there's a rat crawling on you every night scratching you. Also, that no one is seeing it. Like, that it's somehow scratching you, like, deep enough to wake you up with three giant gashes. Like, what rat is that? It's Splinter out for revenge. I was like, I was like, guy, I like that you're trying to disprove the logical explanation, but not for one second did I just go, oh, that house has a rat problem. No, <laughs> no. Mm-mm. Okay, so at this point, they're obviously very concerned, and they're worried the ghost is going to scratch the baby, which I say this is not even a ghost, this is a demon, but okay. So they call, again, parapsychologist Dr. William Roll, expert in past lives, and he brings Heidi some photographs to identify. And this is supposedly we see the first time here on Unsolved Mysteries, her looking at these photographs, which is sort of a photo lineup. He's brought a bunch of old photographs, and one of them is Mr. Gordy. So the thing is, can Heidi pick out Mr. Gordy from the set of like a dozen old-timey photographs? Which she does immediately. She's like, oh yeah, that looks like him. And that was Mr. Gordy. So uh, Dr. Roll thinks that these are genuine experiences. He doesn't know why Heidi seems to have this gift, but doesn't really question it. Um, Heidi explains to us that she is not scared of Lon or Mr. Gordy because they are pleasant and they talk to her and they play with her, but she's scared of the other spirits that don't talk to her and do not have visible faces. <laughs> and I was like, okay, okay, we're going to back out of this house slowly. And I was we're not going to pack our bags. We're just, let's we're, go. We're going on a little trip. Everybody get in the car. And, and her mother, Lisa, explains that this whole time, you know, Heidi had been, she hadn't even recognized them as ghosts, right? She thought they were real people. She wasn't concerned about them. She seemed to like playing with them. And then when this other spirit shows up, she's like screaming. She's freaked out all of a sudden. They're like, you've never been scared of anything. What's happening? And she's like, no, this one's different. It doesn't even have a face. Cool. <sighs> Her parents also have complete faith in her child, and they absolutely think that she is gifted with a sixth sense. Like, there is no question in their mind. Though the dad does say that- There's no question in my mind. Yeah, I mean, this this story is scary as hell. The dad just tells us that he would prefer not to see the spirits himself. And I was like, if they don't have faces and they just hang out in the dark hallway, I don't want to see them either. Nope. (laughs) Nope. Um, Dr. Roll himself does have a mustache, everyone. It is thick and gray. And I wrote down that it is obviously called the Ghost Whisperer. What else would it be called? Of course. This guy comes in to confirm if there's ghosts. Okay. And then my last, seriously, my last note is that there's this amazing photo of Heidi wearing this like peach speckled Western shirt with the largest bolo tie I have ever seen in my life. (laughs) 
Yes, yes. So not only is she like gifted or psychic or whatever, but she has amazing fashion sense, even as a child. I don't know what happened to Heidi. Um, I hope they all lived in that house. I mean, I hope they all lived. I hope they left the house. I don't know what happened to them, but that's the end of the segment. That's the end of the episode. I want to look up Heidi right now. Was I just want to Google was Heidi murdered by ghost? Let's find out. I actually really like that last segment, and I just kind of wish it was in a different episode. Yeah, because the rest of this sucked. Yeah, so let's rate it. Okay, so our first category is mysteriousness. Um, I mean, I guess death is mysterious, so I'm going to say thumbs up. Yeah, it's kind of a default rating, but you're right. Okay, uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. I just have to tell you uh, this Unsolved Mysteries wiki update for Heidi. Which okay. they're letting you know that this uh, this segment is unsolved, you guys. Okay. Well, I was wondering. So <laughs> they weren't. I, this is why I didn't even look it up because it's like, oh yeah, it's solved. They proved the existence of ghosts. Um, no, it's unsolved. Heidi is now a young woman and no longer lives in her old family home. She reports that she has not seen Mr. Gordy for years. However, she continues to see the mysterious dark figure. What? Yes! It's haunted her for her entire life? As well as numerous other spirits. The the sightings are so frequent that she now takes them in stride. No explanation has ever been given for her visions. Oh my god. Sadly, her her father, whose name was Andrew, so I apologize. Andrew, sadly, Andrew passed away in 2012 at only 45 years old. Oh, the Unsolved Mysteries curse. I know. You can learn more about this. It was uh, featured on an episode of, uh, featured in A Haunting. It was the basis for the movie A Haunting in Georgia. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, so let's go back to rating. I want to say that it is mysterious because death. Thumbs up. Yep. Reenactments. Okay. That guy flying through the air because of lightning. (laughs) I have to give it a thumbs up just so that I burst out laughing. Yeah, that was pretty funny. I think a thumbs up is in order. And uh, this they recycled the Lazy Susan. Uh, yeah, that's, that's fine. That's they were funny. Yeah, I also this reenactment of Heidi talking to Khan in the doorway is one of the scariest things I've ever seen in my life. I don't know if it was supposed to be or not, but um, I'm scarred. So thumbs up. Yeah, thumbs up. Uh, fashion. You know what? It was kind of eh, except for Heidi. It's fine. Heidi was good. But I'm going to say it's not really remarkable. You would not watch this episode for that. You would not. No. And the mustaches were just okay. Yeah, so thumbs down, actually. Robert Stack? Well, I think he was sick this week. I don't even know that he was in it. So He just introduced each segment like as it went to commercial break. It was basically like, people die. Let's find out about that. It was it, He phoned it in. He phoned it in. They just haven't been yeah. one mausoleum. It's just like... They shot it all in like 20 minutes. I'm not impressed. Thumbs down. Thumbs down. Okay, on a Robert Stack scale, zero to a possible five Robert Stacks. I found. I did not like this episode. You're right. Your last one was good, but by the time I got to it, I was so over <laughs> this episode that I feel like I, I didn't appreciate it as much. Yeah, you texted me that it was the worst episode we had ever covered. So <laughs> I did say that. Um, I'm going to say two and a half, maybe. Yeah, I think it as a generous two and a half, but it's it's mainly that last step, that last yeah. segment. I wouldn't recommend you watch this one, to be honest. No, I'm I'm pu- I'm giving it the half entirely because of Heidi. I found this 
and maybe you wouldn't care if you weren't like taking notes on it or whatever but i found the like reuse of old segments very frustrating to figure out like what was happening and that it does just kind of point out that they're all sort of all the same and not that interesting no and i mean it was hard for us because just making this podcast which yeah doesn't relate to anybody else but we couldn't like divide up the episode like we normally do where we each take a segment because it was all just one long ass segment yeah i think it's a great topic but i feel like they kind of phoned it in is my feeling yeah i agree i think it could have been a lot better so wasted potential also is bringing it down i think two and a half is generous agreed just be happy with your two and a half unsolved mysteries quit arguing that you deserve better you earned a two and a half okay i'm not changing your grade all right so we like to close up the show with a recommendation it's kind of a little if you're like super scared about heidi and the fact that she never stopped seeing that terrifying dark figure without a face that is sometimes named Paul. That's why we do a little palate cleanser. I'm sure you're really, yeah. really glad I made that noise. We um, pretend to be influencers. Yeah. Which, I mean, we are. Uh, I'm sure. I did influence at least one person to watch Abbott Elementary. And I'm thanking that person publicly for doing your part to keeping that show on the air for me specifically i started watching it too so there you go that's two well thank you thank you two people we're <laughs> doing the hard work oh yeah exactly i feel like it's getting a little bit more love than it was when it first came out so i fingers crossed i've seen a lot of people talking about it on twitter but also i don't know how that really reflects to like the general population because uh, that's how i feel too <laughs> Because I follow... It's just like bunch, your algorithm or whatever. But also I follow a lot of weirdos. I don't think I follow people with, like, mainstream tastes. So, <laughs> so I don't really know how popular it is. But I do feel like everybody's talking about it. Um, yeah. Okay. So, as an influencer, I am recommending a granola. Specifically made by Three Sisters Kitchen in uh, New Mexico. Um, this is another thing that I learned about because of my friend Nicole sent me some granola for Christmas, much like those snow girl cub cookies. And I went, Oh, this is uh, one of the most delicious things I've ever tasted in my life. Hmm. So she sent me the, um, biscotti orange granola, Oh, which is made with ingredients grown in New Mexico. It says organic ingredients. I don't know if it's all organic or not, but, um, it's made by a nonprofit in Albuquerque, and this is so intensely delicious. And I know my dad is listening to this right now going, Liz, why didn't you send me the orange biscotti one? And I was like, well, dad, it was sold out. I'm sorry. I had to send him other ones. But um, it's a, like very unique flavors, including they, because it's New Mexico. They have ones that have red chili and green chili in them. If you can get, if you can get over the idea of spicy cereal delicious i might be too minnesota <laughs> for spicy cereal honestly i like the idea of the orange biscotti though it's so good okay and if even that and that is like not spicy but definitely very flavorful okay they have some more mild ones like um blue corn mulberry honey honey okay. almond goji berry I, th- I like the sound of these. Um, they're all super delicious, and they're not like really anything else that I've had. Okay. Um, and I've ordered now a couple 
from a couple times because I don't I'm bad at preparing food for myself and I'm bad at like <laughs> I'm bad at actually like eating meals and blah blah blah. I don't know, you're supposed to do that every day apparently. What? How? <sighs> every single day. <laughs> so, um being able to just pour a, I was like, "Oh yeah, cereal. Just pouring yourself a bowl of delicious granola." Mm. So say the name of the company again. So it's called Three Sisters Kitchen. Um and it's in Albuquerque, and I feel like I should have probably learned more about their story and why it's nonprofit. I don't really know, but um, this granola is fucking delicious. I will say, okay, my only complaint is that no matter what you order, it's flat rate shipping of ten dollars. So you're probably not going to order one. Yeah. But um, you know what? It's good. It's fine. Just order a few. Take my word for it literally looking at their website right now <laughs> see if they see oh it's a, it's a non-profit community food space in the heart of downtown albuquerque a where place where delicious affordable and locally produced foods come together to nourish our community from the ground up sure seems like a good place great love it um see wait is that orange biscotti one in stock let's find out because that's what you need definitely oh it is 750 <gasps> for eight ounces do it place an order <laughs> right after we're done here um yeah that's my recommendation feed yourself it's uh, a great recommendation get some lovely granola. yeah i really i really like that i'm definitely going to be placing an order there you go i'm an influencer i influenced you literally right this second in real time and what is your recommendation other than people need to keep watching abbott elementary I mean, that's my recommendation always. My other recommendation is a book that oh. I just finished today. You know, I think actually you've re- you have influenced many people to read books you've recommended. You sh- you're selling yourself short. That's, you know, you're probably right. I think you've the weird the weird shit I read has some 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 other people seem to like it too. So I think four or five of our listeners have been influenced by you. That's fair. That is fair. Well, I'm hoping to influence someone else because I finished a really good book today called Paradise by, I think, Lizzie is it George Johnson? Lizzie Johnson? Lizzie something? Uh, I really liked this book. This is a nonfiction book about the 2018 campfire in California. It is Lizzie Johnson. Lizzie Johnson. Yeah. Um. It talks about, so the campfire was the deadliest wildfire in California history, in, in the history of the United States, I think. Um, and actually, I think it may have been, like, the like one of the most expensive natural disasters ever in the world, as wow. far as um, the destruction that it did. It destroyed a lot of Butte County in California, including the entire, basically the entire town of Paradise. Um the story is wild. It's harrowing. Um, she talks about, you know, what causes what caused the wildfire, what causes wildfires in general, how they're um, fought. She also basically the whole book is telling the story of a whole hand, a whole bunch of people who um, were there that day, from people who had to flee, uh, residents of Paradise, firefighters, nine one one dispatchers. They had to evacuate a hospital. Um, people who average citizens who put like hospital patients in their cars and tried to escape with them uh, the the fire killed i think 85 people it was very deadly wildfire um i found the book 
very informative um, as far as, you know, she talks about the, the causes of this particular wildfire, which of course global warming plays a factor, but also kind of the usual suspects of corporate greed. Um, was it a gender human gender- incompetence? Was it a gender reveal party? It was not oh. a gender reveal, oh, okay. reveal party. I think okay. that, was, that one was in Arizona, wasn't it? I don't. Remember. I don't remember. This was caused. This fire was caused by a power line that was um, not maintained properly, mm. and uh, it. Uh, I, one of the hooks in the power line disintegrated because it hadn't. It like was a hundred years old or something, and should have been inspected but wasn't. Anyway. Oh my god. Yeah, so that sparked the wildfire, but it, of course was made worse by. Um, hundred years of colonial fire suppression techniques um she talks about how you know for centuries uh the native american people would do controlled burns um to refresh the forest and that has not been done because um colonial settlers believed that that fire was bad always and that um basically you just fought a fire when you saw it but that has caused the forest to get overgrown and basically just like full to the brim with kindling and it makes our wildfires so much worse she talks about that it was overall very fascinating but also in addition i found the book to be beautifully written she is an excellent writer um she tells these stories with a lot of care um the whole book was very moving i really really enjoyed the entire reading experience if you listen to the audiobook like i did the author reads the story and just does an excellent job i think it's super good there is also a doc there's a couple documentaries there's one that i watched that is a few years old now i think um on netflix so if you want to read the book and then see the images of oh. people who were fleeing from paradise um there's a harrowing story about a bus driver who had a bus full of kids and two teachers on board oh my god um and that story i remember being told in the documentary um and it's also in the book um so i think the the netflix documentary is called it's either called paradise also or it might be called fire in paradise i don't remember there's another documentary that i don't know if it's out yet uh, it may be kind of new called rebuilding paradise which she mentions at the end of the book i haven't seen that one i think it's a net geo documentary um so you might want to watch that too um i liked it i liked it a lot um and i yeah i i highly recommend it that's- I feel like I'm always saying, like, read this book if you think nonfiction is boring. And this is, I feel like, one of the, a really good example of that that type of book because, like, there were a, there were a few passages in the book that made me like pause, that kind of like took my breath away. They were so beautiful, and I feel like that's not something you often get in nonfiction. Like, they nonfiction does, is, I hate to admit this, but can be a little dry. And this book was absolutely not that. Um, it was really well done. So, well, people highly write, recommend. People write dry fiction too. It's just a it's a fair matter. That is fair. Matter of skill. That sounds like the most you book. Like I, if I saw this book, <laughs> I would be like, oh, Samantha would like this. I don't know. There's just a certain type of like nonfiction, in-depth nonfiction about a like weird tragic thing. There you go. Oh, you're not wrong about that. <laughs> I think you need on my history of reading about yeah deadly epidemics. I went through a whole last year reading about natural disasters i read a book about a tornado i read a book about i don't know what it is about that genre i think i like seeing like communities come together to overcome uh things like natural disasters that's a very positive take on a dark subject um i want to see you get i don't even know if this matters anymore without so much physical bookstores but you know how they would put that like gold oprah club 
thing on the cover of books that was like, you should buy this book. Oprah likes it. Samantha's book club is just yes. the most depressing shit <laughs> yes. that will ruin your life exactly. <laughs> just by reading it. Exactly. I'm sure people will sign up for that. Left, There'll be a lines down the street. That's what I want to see in the world. <laughs> I want to be in a Barnes and Noble and see a little seal. Samantha's book club. It'll make you want to die. Yeah. And people will be like, oh, Samantha likes it. Hmm. I want to be sad today. I should I definitely <laughs> should read this. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's a great recommendation. Okay, that brings us to the end of our episode. And this is the part where we tell you to do Samantha solid and subscribe and give us smash that subscribe button <laughs> and give us a five-star review. And um oh. sign up for repod. Yeah. Listen to us on repod. I, can you review podcasts on there? I don't know, but you should definitely <laughs> download the app. <laughs> Download the app to find out. It's a mystery. And, uh, oh, I don't know. Oh, you should buy our zine. And yes. uh, there's information about that at our website, perhaps it's you.com, under merch. And if you have a story of something spooky that's happened to you, were you a child who saw ghosts and interacted with them? We want to know. That's perhaps it's you podcast at gmail.com. And then we say something about Patreon. I don't know. Did you know there's a show called bone bone detectives i thought i made that up but it's real and we're gonna talk about it that's this month bone detectives i'm excited to talk about bone detectives just search for us on patreon since we always have our link wrong and i think that's pretty much it right i think so yeah well if we forgot something whatever we'll talk about it next okay thanks bd wong thanks five listeners keep barking everybody bye bye mom